in our study of Revelation, Lesson 12. And last week, we looked at the timeline of events of Revelation. And the seventh trumpet had sounded in chapter 11 and in verse 15. And so I'm just going to read that again, because these verses are important for chapter 12. Then the seventh angel trumpeted, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his anointed one, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so we have that seventh trumpet sounding. And so understand, tonight, our timeline, if you want a timeline as we enter into chapter 12, it's going to be somewhere between the last trumpet and the bowls of God's wrath. However, if we're going to understand chapter 12, the important verses for us today are really in chapter 11 and chapter in verses 12 and 13. An event that happens just after the last trumpet sounding. And as we pick up in verse 12, the two prophets that were prophesying the plagues are being resurrected. And again, we're in the holy city of Jerusalem where they were slain. And it reads this way. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched. At that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so what we have here as well, we saw in chapter 9, the rest of the world didn't repent at these trumpet soundings, but our Jewish people do. After the resurrection of the two prophets and the following earthquake, Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, realizes this is the hand of God. And they repent, giving glory to God. And now remember that Jerusalem is also a term for our Jewish people. And we can see that in the Gospels where Yeshua says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to her. Well, here the Jewish people turn to God and Messiah. This is not just the holy city, but this is the whole of our Jewish people in the land who see the hand of God and repent. And we spoke of how the 144,000 that we read about earlier, it told us they were a one-fiftieth of a greater number. And so we can assume the 144,000 represent 7,200,000 people alive at that time and turned to God. Chapter 12 then says, verse 1, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. The first thing you want to notice about these verses is that it is called a sign. In other words, this is a sign for those who've read this book and then see this event. Let's look at another sign that, we've, that uh, is much similar to this one. And it's in Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore Adonai will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive, and when she's giving birth to a son, she will call his name Emmanuel. So we see a virgin give birth to a child, and it's a sign. Emmanuel is with us. 
Let's look at how closely, look at how closely these two are worded. Isaiah says, a sign in heaven. Revelation says, we'll give you a sign. Isaiah says, a woman was with child. Revelation says, the virgin will be with child. Isaiah says, she is giving birth to a son. And Revelation says, she's about to give birth to a son. Two signs, very close to one another, and rightfully so, because they're speaking of the advent of Messiah. However, Revelation includes birth pains, as it says, she cried out in pain. So understand, a sign is something that we're supposed to take notice of. And we have a woman clothed in the sun, the moon, and 12 stars. And last week, we determined that the identity of the woman was told to us if we go to the Torah and the dream of Joseph. And I'll read it for you again. We read it last week, but it would pay for us to read it again. Then I, he had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him and said, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so the woman is our Jewish people, and it says she was about to give birth, and the word there for birth is odin, and it means birth pangs. These are the birth pangs of the Messiah that we're talking about. But the birth pangs are all of the nation of Israel. Isaiah speaks of the same thing in this way in chapter 26. As a pregnant woman about to give birth rise and cries out in her pain, so were we before you, Adonai. We have been with child, we have been in pain, and yet we gave birth to the wind. We are accomplishing no deliverance for the earth, nor the are the inhabitants of the world coming to life. Yet it will be, your dead will live, my corpses will rise, awake and shout, you who dwell in the dust, your dew is like the dew of the dawn, the land of dead souls will come to life. Go, my people, enter into your rooms and shut the doors behind you, hide for a little while until the wrath is past. For behold, Adonai is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And so again, this speaks of Israel in birth pangs. And then it also speaks of their sheltering from the wrath of God. And that's what we're about to see in the book of Revelation. We're about to see the sheltering of Israel from the wrath of God. Now let's go to the book of Mark. And he speaks of the birth pangs as well. Chapter 13, verse 5. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pangs. And so what we're talking about here, uh, the events that uh, we have just witnessed are the beginnings of the birth pangs. Now let's go back to Revelation in verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And so this is a nasty fellow. And who is this dragon? This is Satan and, uh, or his uh, personification, the false messiah. And remember, we found that the adversary is called a dragon. We looked at that a few weeks ago in Ezekiel chapter 29. And we just read Isaiah 26 and the birth pangs. And if we had read one verse farther 
it would have speak, spoken of this as well. In that day, Adonai will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce, great, strong sword. Leviathan, the twisted serpent, he will slay the dragon in the sea. And so we're going to look at the beast here um, next week in, in uh, greater detail. But I want to read you, instead of reading from various passages, I'm going to read from uh, the Encyclopedia Judaica, which mentions all the passages. And next week we'll look at it more closely. Leviathan is a multi-headed beast in Psalm 74:14, a sea serpent appearing in Isaiah 27, 1, Psalm 74, verse 14, 104, verse 26, and Job 3, and verse 8. The detailed description in Job, chapter 40 through 25 and 32, applies to the crocodile, although Rabbi maintaining that the reference is to Leviathan, the legendary animal prepared for the righteous in the hereafter, the messianic banquet referred to as the feast of Leviathan, where the righteous feast on the beast. So understand that I want you to understand that he's called by many names, but it's the same fellow. And in verse 4 we read, and his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Okay, so where it says he swept a third of the stars from the heavens, this would be the fallen angels who followed Hasatan, who were hurled to the earth with him. And if we read in verses 9 through 12, it covers this more closely. But we're only in verse 4, and so I want to read that. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now we have Israel, and we have the birth of a child, and the child is the Messiah. We know that because it says he will rule, rule with an iron scepter, and he was snatched up to the throne of God. And it talks of Israel being in birth pains over this child. Now understand that for Messiah to come, you need two things to happen first. And what are they? Well, first you need Elijah to come and prepare the way for the Lord. In his first coming, he came in the form of Yochanan the Immerser, and we just saw that he came again as one of the two witnesses. So the stage is set for Messiah to come. What else do we need? Well, we just talked about the birth pains. We read this midrash a, a week ago, but I, I want to read it again. Abiya Asrabah, what is the reason for not wishing to see Messiah? Should you say because of the birth pangs preceding the Messiah's coming? So the birth pangs. And what we get here, Messiah has already been born, hasn't he? I mean, we're a couple thousand years in the past. He's been born 2,000 years ago. He died. He was resurrected. And like the text says, he's snatched up to the throne of God. And so why are we getting this image of mother going through these birth pangs when he was born? Well, if we go to Isaiah 66, we're going to find out why. It speaks of his birth at this time. And it says this in chapter 66, verse 7. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such a thing? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment. Now when Messiah came the first time, we had Elijah come in the form of John. But let me ask you, did the earth go through birth pangs of the Messiah at that time? No, there were no birth pangs. 
But we have birth pangs, and now we see in this verse, we should be able to understand the birth pangs are here, and they're because of a nation that's being birthed, a nation that's being turned to God and Messiah, the Jewish people, and that will be a great sign. Now, verse 8 said, Who has ever heard of such a thing? And who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? You see, the moment the birth pangs begin, the nation will be birthed. And this is the Jewish people coming to a knowledge of God and Messiah. Now listen as verse 9 of the same chapter says. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her. For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breast and you will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. And so what we're seeing here is the rebirth of a nation, a rebirth of our Jewish people. They're coming to God and Messiah. And now let's go to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6. And the adversary, the great dragon that we just read about, Leviathan, Pharaoh, whatever you want to call him, is standing in front of the woman. And the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And so the dragon is going to make war against the woman, but he's going to be thwarted because she's going to be taken into the wilderness and she's going to be protected there for 1260 days. And this same 1260 days will be the time that the wrath of God and the Lamb is being poured out. And so Israel's going to be kept safe from the wrath of God and, and that's about to be poured out. And notice that it says she's going to be taken to a place prepared for her by God. Now, let's think about something. When was the adversary of God defeated? Anybody? With the Messiah's death and his resurrection, right? So what did he say to his disciples at that time? He says this in John chapter 14. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that you may be where I am also. And so there's a place prepared for the people of God. However, the place that we're talking about is for those who are alive and are fleeing Satan. So I want to skip down to Revelation 12 and verse 13. And we're going to come back to verse 7 because these all go together. But I want you to see that Israel is taken care of during this time. God is not going to forsake his Jewish people, but this is what is meant by a nation being born at this time. Listen to verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to a male child, the woman who was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert. She would be taken care of for time, times, and a half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. And so now we have the judgments of God. Remember when we looked at the judgments of God and it spoke of a river, we weren't really certain whether it was an army or whether it was a disease. But here, we can be sure that this is an army. This is a torrent of water. And it's called a torrent of water, but it's really an army. The armies of the false messiah. And we can see this type of imagery 
of an army being a river if we go to Isaiah chapter six and, or chapter 8 and verse 6. And it says this. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shaloah and, re- and rejoices over Rezim and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria, with all of his pomp. It will outflow all its channels and run over all of its banks. And so here, again, this river is being, uh, pursues Israel. And it's not really a river, but it is an army. It's just called a river. Verse 16. But the earth came to the aid of the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had spewed from its mouth. Now I want you to think of some terminology here. The terminology that we just read. Remember it said, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness or in the desert. Where else do we see that terminology? How about Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4? It says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What we have, Pharaoh pursues Israel, but the Holy One protects her. His army is swallowed up by the sea and Adonai brings her to himself at Mount Sinai. In Revelation, we again have the dragon who is called Pharaoh in several places in the prophets and he and his army pursue her but the army is swallowed up this time by the earth and God brings the Jewish people to himself to the place he's prepared for her. All throughout Jewish writings, it speaks of their expectation of a second exodus. And here in Revelation, we are seeing it as well. Something else, Israel is taken to a place hidden from Pharaoh. And think of this, because you have to immediately think, where on earth can God hide all of these people? Where can you hide from the armies of the world today? And we're not talking about just a few people. Remember, we're talking about 7,200,000. What is the deal? Where are they going to hide? Well, I submit to you that like the wilderness, they're going to be supernaturally kept by God, by a supernatural God. And notice that it says she will be taken care of throughout three and a half years. The, The King James says she will be nourished. That is to say, uh, she's going to be in a place prepared for her. We just spoke of another time that Israel was nourished in the wilderness. And it will take us back to the Exodus. When Israel was in the wilderness, she was cared for by God. And I want you to keep that in mind, that Israel was supernaturally kept by God during that time. Israel was attacked during this time by Egypt and led by Pharaoh, a picture of a Hasatan. And He was drowned, and they were also attacked by Amalek, but God helped them prevail over Amalek. But also, they were in a place that was prepared for them by God, and they were supernaturally kept. And I'm going to show that to you next. They were given manna to eat. It appeared on the ground every morning, except the Sabbath. They were given water from a rock, and the rock that followed them throughout that journey And Paul tells us that the rock was Messiah. Remember also that a cloud covered them by day and a pillar of fire warmed them by night. 
And we're told that they were supernaturally kept. We're told that their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Listen to, listen as Moses recounts the journey in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You are to remember the way Adonai, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you should keep his mitzvot or not. He afflicted you and let you hunger. Then he fed you manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known in order to make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of Adonai. Neither did he let your clothing wear out on you, nor did your foot swell in these 40 years. And if we go to chapter 29, it says, During these 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did your sandals on your feet. What I want you to see is that Israel is supernaturally kept by God. And the reason the Exodus terminology is used here in Revelation is because God wants us to know that Israel will again be supernaturally kept by God. Listen to Caleb, one of the only two adults who witnessed all of the uh, plagues on Egypt and the deliverance from Egypt, only two survivors of the 40-year journey. And he says this in Joshua 14. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses when Israel was moved about in the desert. So I am today 85 years old and I am still as strong as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then. Caleb was, he was 40 when he started. He's 85 years old. And it would appear to me that he hasn't aged a bit because he says I'm as strong as vigorous as the day the journey began. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who weren't cursed by God and made it through the entire wilderness journey. And notice that they did not age. They were as young and as strong as when the wilderness journey began. Let's read about Moses. What does it say about Moses? Chapter 34, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved over Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. <coughs> and so even Moses, who was gathered to his people, it wasn't because of his age. It wasn't because he was weak. It was because God told him he couldn't enter the land. Not just that, but I also think you should understand that these folks were supernaturally kept. And here's how else we know. Do you know that they can't find a trace of the Israelites living in the wilderness for those 45 years? Millions of people should have made some kind of an impact on the land. Not only that, Think of all the waste of a million people and impacting the earth and they can't find a trace of where Israel was in the wilderness. And the rabbis give all kinds of reasons for there not being any waste. They say that the manna was such a perfect food that there was no waste. Scholars say the exodus never happened because we can find no trace of it. They fail to understand that God had prepared the place for them they were supernaturally kept by God and it's a shadow of what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation verse 7 and there was war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back 
but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devils or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so that's the better description of what we read earlier. And so Michael, over and over, is spoken of as the angel who keeps Israel. In Daniel, we read the same thing. It says this, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise, and there will be a time of great distress as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And so what I want you to notice here is that all who are written in the book are going to be delivered. Now, and we can find this Michael being the guardian of Israel, other places. Here's a tradition from Exodus Rabbah. Michael and Samuel both stand before Satan. Satan accuses while Michael points out Israel's virtues. And when Satan wishes to speak again, Michael silences him. And so Michael is the angel that fights for Israel. It's also told to us in our New Covenant scriptures. I just didn't pull up the verse. Now Satan has been able to accuse before God. In fact, Satan means adversary or accuser. And in verse 10 we're going to read, And I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shriek from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone out to you. He's filled with fury and because he knows his time is short. And so these last three and a half years are going to be a very tough time. The wrath of God is going to be poured out. But what I want, I want you to see that all of Israel is kept safe. And in fact, Daniel tells us all who are written in the book of life will be kept as well. But we're talking about our Jewish people here today. And so I want you to close this out by taking you on a little rabbit trail. You see that Israel or our Jewish people are kept safe in a place prepared for them. And we determined already that there were somewhere near 7,200,000 Jewish people who are led into the wilderness. And that, you know, that's very close to Israel's population of Jewish people now. I think there's 6 million plus in Israel now. And now I want you to consider this. These Jewish people that we're speaking of uh, are not people who were resurrected. These are people who are alive and well, the 7,200,000 people are going to survive this time and go into the messianic kingdom on earth alive and well because they're going to be sheltered through the wrath of God. Now I want to read a few verses about the messianic kingdom because it's going to be drastically different. We all know that from what we live in now. And Isaiah chapter 11 tells us this. Verse 1. Then a shoot will come forth out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch will bear fruit out of his roots. And the Ruach of Adonai will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and insight, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord, of Adonai, 
He will not judge by what he sees, nor decide by what he hears, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the poor of the land. He will strike the land with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also the righteous will be Righteousness will be a belt around his loins and faithfulness a belt around his waist. And so understand now we're talking about the Messiah and we're speaking about the messianic kingdom here. Just told us that he has judged the wicked. The wicked have been slain. The adversaries bound. Now listen to how different the land is going to be in verse 6. The wolf will, lie, will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. The young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. A nursing child will play by a cobra's hole. And a weaned child will put his hand into a viper's nest. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for all. For all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Adonai as the waters cover the sea. It will also come about in that day that the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will seek him and his resting place will be glorious. And so again, we're talking about in that day, we're talking about the day of the Lord. When you hear that phrase, in that day, it speaks of the day of the Lord and the messianic kingdom. And it sounds here by what we just read that there's no violence. No death. I mean, lions eat straw. It sounds as if there will be no violence, no death through violence. And now I want to read one more verse from Isaiah about this time. And it says this, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For behold, I am creating Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for joy. Then I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No longer will the voice of weeping or the voice of crying be heard in her. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the youth will die at a hundred years, but one who misses the mark of a hundred must be accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit nor plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree... So will be the days of my people and my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Now I want you to think about this. It says he who's a who doesn't reach a hundred is accursed. Then it says in verse 2, it says, like the, or 22, it says, like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. I want to ask you something. How long does a tree live? Well, we were just in Israel. We saw some trees that were thousands of years old. Now, if our calculations are correct, and we have, we have 7,200,000 Jewish people coming through the wrath of God and into the kingdom, and they're going to live lives like a tree with no violence in the earth, and these people are going to have children, and their children are going to have children, and their children are going to have children, each living like the days of a tree, at the end of a thousand years of the messianic kingdom, I want you to think about how many Jewish people there are going to be on the earth. Well, if we look at Abraham, God told Abraham that his people would be enslaved for 430 years. And that 430 years, the rabbis tell us that it was only 210 years that they were really down in Egypt. Now, when they went, there were 70 in all. And at the end of their enslavement, 
according to the historians and, and, and the rabbis, there were like 4 million Jewish people that came up out of Egypt. There was like 650,000 fighting men alone. Now, let's do this. Instead of 70, let's start with 7,200,000. And instead of 40, 430 years, or as the rabbis said, 210 years, let's make it 1,000 years. And also consider that people are living much longer. They're living like the days of a tree. How many Jewish people are there on the earth at the end of a thousand years going into eternity? Anybody want to make a guess? Well, before you get out your calculator, I think I can tell you, and I don't have to work it out mathematically. I just have to read a couple of verses. Genesis 15. And he took him outside and said, Look up now at the sky and count the stars, if you, are an, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your seed or your offspring be. Then he believed in Adonai, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. You see, all you have to do to figure this out is go outside and start count the stars in the sky, because God promises our yes and amen. People have looked at this and said, this is an exaggeration. But friends... It's no exaggeration. It's the promise of God, and it's yes and amen.